Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carroll. Though you may not realize that the ongoing threat of terrorism is affecting your life and that of your loved ones. Each week, Dr. Carroll analyzes the hottest topics in terror and helps you and your family reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. The reports of ISIS's death have been greatly exaggerated. Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carroll, a psychiatrist and your terrorist therapist. Do you recognize that saying? (laughs) The actual quote came from Mark Twain in 1897 when he was in London. No, he wasn't talking about ISIS. He was talking about himself. Um, There was a um, misinformation that was reported in the press about the fact that he had died, that Mark Twain had died, and it was actually a cousin of his um, who had the same real last name, Clemens. Mark Twain is a pen name for Samuel Clemens. So um, what he said was the reports of my death have been greatly exaggerated uh, because they reported that he was dead, he was dead when it was his cousin's death, and he had to correct everyone by, by showing that he was alive. So um, getting back to terrorism, the reports of ISIS's death have been greatly exaggerated. And by that, I mean, you probably think, as we have pretty much been led to believe by the mainstream media, that, well, it depends, actually. I should, it, it depends on which media, or which medium. But, um, you know, there, we've, we're kind of being led to believe, to a large extent, that ISIS, uh, because the U.S. and um, the people who are working in the coalition, the other countries, we have um, greatly reduced the area in uh, Iraq and Syria that ISIS had uh, set upon, had captured as their caliphate. So that leads us, to, I mean, this is, that's true, that's absolutely true. But that has led us, because we all want to believe that terrorism is dead, right? Um, That has led us to assume that because we have um, closed in on ISIS's caliphate in the Middle East, that that means terrorism and ISIS, ISIS propagated terrorism is dead or dying around the world. And, you know, besides in, Iraq and Syria, also around the world, and nothing could be farther from the truth. So there is a current report that just came out that by uh, the Institute for the Study of War, they warned this week that ISIS is reviving itself, and they are um, have become a capable insurgency. In other words, they are, um, they have been working towards a second resurgence, and that is very well um, possible, capable, they're capable of making that happen. So, um, you know, we have, we have um, made a lot of progress, um, but in other words, they have uh, regained sufficient strength that they can mount a renewed insurgency to overcome the local security forces in Iraq and Syria. You know, the point, of course, of the U.S. and the U.S.-led coalition 
and the local forces, uh, the point has been to, to uh, minimize ISIS such that the, just the local forces can control them and the U.S. and the U.S.-led coalition can pull out. Well, not so fast. <laughs> um, apparently, ISIS still holds uh, support zones, small pockets of territory, particularly along the border that separates um, Iraq and Syria, and they are um, they are fighting back. Basically, they are becoming stronger. And um, another uh, intelligence community, the um, the U.S. intelligence community made their annual worldwide threat assessment. And they said over the next year, we expect that ISIS is likely to focus on regrouping in Iraq and Syria. And in fact, that is what has been happening. So um, the uh, Institute for the Study of War has said that, um, ICE, that the US and the anti-ISIS campaign hasn't eliminated the global threat posed by ISIS, despite having minimized their land holdings. And um, in August, just, just this past month, or you know, a little over a month ago, the Pentagon acknowledged that ISIS still counts with the support of nearly 30,000 fighters. So even though we minimize their territory, just in Iraq and Syria, they still have 30,000 fighters. And they're more capable than Al-Qaeda. And this is not counting the fighters that ISIS has sent all over the world. So um, they are regrouping, rearming, planning for a future large-scale insurgency in Iraq and Syria and continuing to um, provoke lone wolves to carry out attacks all over the world. So the uh, Center for Strategic and International Studies said that uh, there are more ISIS-linked foreign fighters in Southeast Asia, mainly the Philippines, than there ever were during the peak of the U.S.-led wars in Afghanistan and Iraq. And in particular, the Southern Philippines, which is an ungoverned region, they are flowing into there. Um, they're also going into Africa and Bangladesh and Southeast Asia, as I said, and also in Europe. And I'm going to be talking to you a little bit about um, the some some incredible shock, incredibly shocking statistics in terms of what's happening in Europe. It becomes a greater and greater problem each and every day. Now, the U.S. Secretary of Defense Jim Mattis recently said that ISIS is not concede, ISIS is not defeated and the U.S. will have to stay in Iraq and Syria until the local security is capable of preventing them from coming, making a comeback. And this is kind of interesting. He said, quote, ISIS has collapsed inward. In their own way, they have reinforced a center as they've been forced into what is now less than 2% of their original territory that they held. So we've crammed them into less than 2% of what they used to be in. But ironically, 
that has made them stronger because they are, you know, crowded into a smaller area. And so they are able to um, build upon themselves um, to become stronger. Uh, he said, Mattis said, quote, so it's going to still be a tough fight. I don't want anyone to be under any illusions and we're together in that fight and we will be successful, but it's still going to take some time. Well, um, one of the places now that we uh, need to be concerned about, more concerned about, uh, because of ISIS becoming stronger, and again, not just stronger in Iraq and Syria, but stronger um, in terms of perpetrating their radical Islamic uh, philosophy and spurring on lone wolves to, to create terror attacks all over the world. And that brings us to um, new statistics uh, about our borders, our uh, southwest borders in particular. And there was a recent interview with uh, the Border Patrol's Rio Grande Valley Sector Chief in Texas. Uh, his name is uh, Agent Manuel Padilla, Jr., and he has just done a, a rather um, scary interview, uh, but truthful interview that, again, just like, just like, you know, the death of ISIS has been greatly exaggerated, um, I don't know that we could say the, the death of um, what's happening at the border, but certainly the mischaracterization of what's happening at the border. You know, there's certainly you've been hearing all about the border wall and all the, uh, the struggles that President Trump is having to get money for the border wall. And part of the reason why he's having struggles is because people, politicians in particular, uh, or political activists, are mischaracterizing what that's all about. They're mischaracterizing it to make it seem like it's about keeping Mexicans out and how horrible that is and how um, you know, prejudiced that is and, and why should we do that? And, you know, but it's not. <laughs> that is not the primary reason. I mean, yes, there has, to be, uh, there has to be more controlled immigration, not just Mexicans, but everybody. I mean, you know, we can't just have open borders altogether in, from Canada or Mexico. But that is not the main problem. The main problem is that there are terrorists amongst all of these thousands of people that are coming across the border in basically an uncontrolled manner because there are too many of them for the border patrols. <laughs> we've been wanting to believe and we've been getting information that's been leading us to believe that in fact we are winning the war on terror. I mean, we certainly have made big, um, big advances, absolutely, and that is certainly not to be underestimated, and we owe a great debt of gratitude to our troops, to all the people involved in the defense of this country, and to what they have done in Iraq and Syria in terms of shrinking ISIS to 2% of what it used to be. But as I was talking um, in the first segment, that ironically has helped them to become stronger and they're planning a second resurgence. Now, one of the problems um, besides, you know, what is happening in Iraq and Syria 
is that it is also making them stronger in terms of being able to influence lone wolves all around the world. And one of the ways that they are doing this, I guess maybe the way that people, that Americans are, are or should be most concerned, um, is through the open border in the South, and the Southwest in particular. So, um, as I was saying, the Rio Grande Valley Sector Chief Patrol Agent, Manuel Padilla Jr., gave this interview about how the open borders are a, quote, are absolutely, quote unquote, absolutely a risk of terrorism. So he's talked about how um, not only because of the openness of the border in these areas, but also because of the transnational criminal groups south of the border. So they, these groups are collecting money um, for people to get across. They're amongst the coyotes, you know, the people who help people get across. And um, because there are these criminal groups, transnational, in other words, not just from Mexico, but, you know, from all over, um, they are making money, <laughs> lots of money, from allowing in or, or getting people to pay them to cross the border. And so that is um, the fact that they can facilitate this means that uh, more people are crossing. Now, this um, patrol agent Padilla said that the border security started becoming um, more of a organized, you know, um, in the late 80s, early 90s, when they noticed in San Diego that there were over 560,000 people crossing per year. So they kind of woke up <laughs> and realized, we have to do something about this. Now again, early 90s, that's before 9-11. So, okay, they have four main areas, California, you know, areas that they, they've divided into, into four areas that they patrol, California, Arizona, West Texas and New Mexico, and South Texas. And um, there have been, in 2014, just uh, to give you an idea, this is when um, the increase started in family and unaccompanied minors. There were 51,000 family units that came across and 51,000 unaccompanied children. So, um, <laughs> you know, these numbers are staggering. And so the Border Patrol um, agent Padilla said, quote, there is no way that we can accept the risk of people coming into this country without us knowing who they are. I can tell you that year to date, we have apprehended people from 52 different countries. Some of those are Middle Eastern countries. Some of those are countries from Africa. So it's really people from all over the world and we must know how they're arriving here, who they are, and ensure that the national security mission is done. Now, again, we're not saying that all people coming from the Middle East or all people who are Muslim or all people coming from Africa are terrorists. But certainly, certainly, you know, countries who are more terrorist oriented, um, there is more of a risk. I mean, it's just statistics. There's more of a risk of um, a higher percentage of people coming from those countries as being a risk, a terrorist risk. 
Now, there was a report from the United Nations, a report on drugs and crime in Central America and the Caribbean in 2012. And um, they, they said that there were pathways from the Horn of Africa, uh, which would be Somalia, into the United States. And they take a lot of the same routes once they get to South America or Central America that Mexican or Central American migrants take. Now, this is an interesting little twist. Um, going back to uh, Chief Patrol Agent Padilla, he said that uh, in April, this past April, his, the, the agents under his command arrested a group of nine Bangladeshi nationals. And um, as of that time, the agents arrested a total of at least 76 Bangladeshis during the 2018 uh, fiscal year. So in other words, in April, there were nine and, and a total of at least 76 during 2018. And then in the Laredo sector, um, they arrested 668 Bangladeshi nationals during this record-setting year. So altogether, it was nearly 750 Bangladeshi migrants that have been crossing the border illegally with the help of Mexican drug cartels. And again, it's not just Mexican drug cartels. Um, all the, nearly all of the Bangladeshi nationals arrested this year are young men between the ages of 18 and 35. And they have been paying, each one has been paying the cartels up to $27,000 for passage to the U.S. Now, where are these Bangladeshi ins, <laughs> um, Bangladeshi nationals, getting $27,000 each? Well, <laughs> a clue is that Bangladesh is a hotbed of terrorist activity. So, um, clearly, they are getting this money uh, from from terrorists, from terrorist organizations that are trying to get terrorists into the U.S. I mean, surely they, um, all of these people, 750 of them, did not, uh, were, did not earn, you know, enough money on their own to pay $27,000 each to come to the U.S. Then um, there was... There was a report from the 20, a 2015 report from the U.S. Senate Committee on Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs that um, it, it acknowledged that there should be legitimate concerns uh, that terrorists could exploit our country's southwest border to enter the U.S. undetected. Now that's 2015. Obviously, this has been getting worse. Now. They wrote, uh, while the likelihood of a terrorist group using the southwest border as an entry point to complete a terrorist attack is an area of debate, the potential for exploitation should be taken seriously, given that there was a 70% increase from 2013 to 2014 in OTMs, which is other than Mexicans, crossing the border. This included individuals from Iraq, Syria, and Egypt. 
And 51% of all border patrol apprehensions, 51% of the people that they catch at the border are currently OTMs, other than Mexicans. Now you would not get that impression just listening to the news, you know, who make, try to make Trump um, seem crazy for wanting this wall um, because they are making it a, um, you know, making it a prejudice, trying to make it all about Mexicans when it is more about people from other countries and particularly countries where there is a high risk or hotbeds of terrorism, as we've just heard, and where there is a high risk of people hiding within these numbers. I mean, that's kind of the point. When there are so many people, thousands of people crossing the border, it is so easy for people from countries, uh, terrorist countries, let's call them, to get lost amongst these thousands. So that's what this is really all about. Well, here's one. <laughs> when you think about uh, Belgium, uh, I don't know if you know, but Belgium, well, first of all, you may know from my having talked about this in previous podcasts, that I went to medical school in Belgium, uh, the University, Université du Louvain, the French, in other words, the French section of the medical school in Louvain, Belgium. Belgium is made up of uh, about half and half French-descended um, people and the other approximately half uh, from, from uh, Dutch or Flemish people. So there are two languages in the country and, you know, they've had, they've had fights with each other about that and so on. But, um, but what would you think are the most common, so it's French or, or Flemish. So what would you think are the most common names, most popular names for newborn boys in Belgium? You think maybe Pierre, Albert, Vincent, um, I guess, uh, you know, the, the Flemish equivalent of those names. Well, if you would have guessed those, you would be wrong. The most popular name for newborn boys in Belgium in 2017 is, drumroll please, Mohammed. Mohammed. Now, <laughs> we know that, um, that um, Molenbeek in particular is a hotbed of um, terrorist activity. The, the Terrorists who perpetrated the Paris attack in 2015 came from Molenbeek. Um, it's a fairly well-populated city. It's a kind of an industrial um, part of Belgium. And um, so I guess there are lots of kids there. I didn't, I didn't look up how many people are, are born in Molenbeek. But the, actually, if you look at just the name Mohammed spelt M-O-H-A-M-E-D, then um, it would come in 10th place. And the name Liam was the most popular name for baby, would have seemed as the most popular name for baby boys in Belgium in 2017. There were 570 newborns who got the name Liam, which is kind of interesting also because that's not really a, a typical French or Flemish name. Um, I guess maybe maybe that reflects the influence of uh, American culture or 
I don't know, the celebrities named Liam. But in any case, um, so Mohammed spelt M-O-H-A-M-E-D comes in in 10th place with 392 babies being given that name. However, when you change the spelling, you, when, you, when you include all the slight spelling variations of the same Arabic name, Mohammed, then it comes out that there is a much higher number. And it comes out that they are the majority, the most popular baby boy name in 2017. So for example, that would include Mohammed spelt M-O-H-A-M-M-E-D, 143 boys, Muhammad, M-U-H-A-M-M-E-D, 72 boys, Muhammad, M-U-H-A-M-M-A-D, 53 boys, Mohammed, M-O-H-A-M-M-A-D, 42 boys, and Mohammed, M-O-H-A-M-A-D, 16 boys. Altogether, it adds up to 718. And, and this doesn't include other variations such as Mohammed Ali and Mehmet, M-E-H-M-E-T, that would make the number even higher. Now in Brussels, the capital of Belgium, Mohammed, M-O-H-A-M-E-D alone is the second most popular boy's name. And combined with all of the other variations, it makes it by far the most popular name in the Belgian capital. Um, names originating from the Islamic world made up as, of as many as 44%. So in other words, not just Mohammed or Mohammed variations, but names originating from the Islamic world made up as many as 44% of male newborns in Brussels. 44%. In Brussels, I'm telling you, folks, I'm not. I'm not lying. <laughs> this is. Uh, there are statistics to to support what I'm saying here. I mean, the question you should be asking yourself is, how long before uh, Mohammed is the most popular name in the U.S., especially if we don't secure the borders? See, it all goes together. Um, in in uh, the Belgian uh, region known as Flanders, which is uh, primarily a Fle the Flemish area, there are 18% of boys with Islamic names. And Wallonia, which is primarily in the French section, there were 13%. And Belgium overall stirred, stood at 20%. So, so 20%, of boys, of, in, in all of Belgium, 20% of boys have Islamic names. I mean, the, these numbers are rather staggering. Um, also, it's not just Belgium. We know that migrants are taking over Europe. So in England and Wales, Muhammad and the various spellings of the name was also the most popular name for newborn boys in 2017 for the sixth straight year. So England and Wales, you think Belgium has problems. <laughs> England and Wales is, is, this has been, um, 
this has been a staggering statistic, the most popular name for newborn boys for the sixth straight year. And yet, um, you know, uh, there's so much political correctness in England um, that you would never know this. You would think that there was no, no problem with terrorism in England, regardless of how many terror attacks we've heard of in London in the last several years. Then Austria, let's look at Austria. The name Muhammad and its variations are also becoming more popular. Uh, Muhammad, M-U-H-A-M-M-E-D, is the third most popular baby name in Austria. Third most popular. I mean, you know, these, these um, putting even terrorism aside, just the idea that these countries, these European countries, are losing their culture, you know, and it's not—it's not just. Um, I—I—I want to be so careful. It's not about. It's not about. It's not, all Muslims aren't terrorists. All terrorists aren't Muslims. And it's not even about that. Or it's, it's certainly it's partly about that, of course. But I mean, it's partly about that there is more of a risk, just as I was saying earlier. Uh, people coming from terrorist countries, there is more of a risk that they are going to perpetrate terrorist attacks. I mean, this this really isn't brain surgery. But um, but aside from that, even if it was I don't know Chinese names, Chinese yes, one of the <laughs> one of the most popular name um, was. Uh, you know, whatever a popular Chinese name would be. The point is that Europe is losing its culture, that each country in Europe is losing its culture. Whatever the influx of, of um, the primary culture is into these European countries, and it is um, Muslim, um, or it is Arab, I should say, well, um, people migrating from these, these Middle East countries. Um, and it, it, what, what I'm trying to say is it wouldn't matter if it was China or Japan, other than the fact that they are less likely to be terrorists, but, but it, the letting in migrants from whatever countries is overshadowing, overcoming um, the cultures, taking over, really, overtaking the culture of these other countries. I mean, when I lived in Belgium and then I lived in Paris for three years, I lived in um, uh in, in Belgium, well, you know, I went to medical school for five and a half years there, and I lived in Paris for three years, and I lived in London um, after that. During my psychiatry residency, I lived in London for, for months. Um, you know, it wasn't like that then. Um, they, it was wonderful. It was they each, all, each of these places had their own distinct cultures. And then also in Paris, you know, my... Oh, I, I, it, it's, Mohammed is now the most popular name for baby boys in Paris's migrant populated suburbs. Also in Paris. So it's all over Europe we're talking about. All over Europe. And why Europeans are not more upset about their cultures being overtaken by migrants, whatever countries these migrants are from, is just shocking to me and very, very upsetting. You know, we're, we're, they are losing their cultures and it's, it's almost getting to be too late. I don't like to think that anything is too late, but it's almost getting to be too late. I mean, it, 
you know, and some would say um, it is too late. I just don't want to be that pessimistic. But certainly, if things don't change ASAP, it is going to be too late to reclaim their individual cultures. Well, thank you for listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. If you would like to find out more about terrorism from me, your terrorist therapist, visit my website, terroristtherapist.com. And if you're a parent or teacher and want to build stronger nests for your kids to become more resilient, check out my new award-winning book, Lions and Tigers and Terrorists, Oh My, How to Protect Your Child in a Time of Terror. It's the first and only book about terrorism for kids. You can find it wherever books are sold or directly from the publisher at terrorismforkids.com. Terrorism, the number four, kids.com. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. Thank you for listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. We hope listening to the show has made you feel calmer, more resilient, and more able to reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. You can also check out past shows on Renegade Talk Archives for more insights.